Hey everybody, welcome back to On Stage, Off Stage. I'm your host, George Sapio, and this is episode number 157, September 2022. Our guest this month is Lisa Villamel. Lisa and I met a few years back in the Actors Workshop of Ithaca Meisner Technique Acting Class. We spent months repeating what each other said. Since then, Lisa has become a playwright, with a few notable kudos to her credit, and has also continued acting as well as directing and producing. Her latest outing is a Zoom production of her play Siren, a three-hander family drama that packs a devastating punch. I'm really glad I caught your last production, Zoom production, Siren. Um, I was a little confused at first. And, well, I mean, with such a non-linear parallel, would you call it non-linear or would you call it parallel timelines? I would call it non-linear, but okay. any of the like direct address happens in the present. That was actually one of my major worries was if people were going to be confused, but I hope that if people just sort of sit back and let mm -hmm. it happen by the second or third scene, they're sort of riding easy and they figured out what's going on. That happened for me because I, I tend to sit with things. I don't get impatient. I, I figure the playwright knows what she is doing. I hope the playwright knows what she's doing. Um, she. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, it started to unfold and everything you gave us in those first few scenes kept me in my seat, which is what we all hope for. It's like strong opening. Yes, be a, be a good playwright. Have a strong opening, which you had. And then it started to get... There were things being thrown in that had no explanation, but they were things that had been happening, which followed, as it turned out, the timeline of all of this. Now, I, I just want to get to the basic question on this. I mean, Siren was, is, a head kicker of a play. And I, I found myself unable to tear myself away from it because I was dying to find out what was going on. But it's very painful. Yeah. Right? And... Where did this come from? Why did you write this play? Ooh. Well, okay. Initially, it was a short play. It was about 20 minutes. And it had a, a kind of different form. There were monologues between father and daughter mm -hmm. and scenes interspersed, but maybe three of them. And left you in the same place at the end, which I, you know, I won't talk about the end too much. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but then that play, it didn't feel done, and I ended up signing myself up for a full-length playwriting class, and I mm -hmm. thought, there's more story here. I think I should add the mother character in and see what's going on there. And uh, it sort of grew out of that. As far as the, the painfulness in it, I just think I find sad things really beautiful and poignant. And I like writing stories about sad things that everyone can sort of connect to, you know. Maybe yeah. it's not your mom that gets sick, maybe it's your best friend or your sister or something. But mm -hmm. death in particular is like the main mystery of life. And the only thing that we as people really know about when it happens is, you know, what happens to the people like us who are left behind. And I think, you know, if you've ever seen someone sort of decline that, I saw like lots of people sort of turn into the worst versions of themselves, sure, you know, yeah. mm -hmm. because that you know, what can you do? You're like up against this complete force that you're powerless against. Yeah. And so I think Siren sort of grew out of 
an experience like that as well where people were maybe turning into monsters a little bit even mm -hmm. the person passing away is turning into a monster a little bit and I thought that might be kind of interesting to have like what what if the mom actually does start to become this monster I, I found it <laughs> I, I found it gripping because you didn't shy away from the painful stuff I mean it's Lots of people write plays about family members passing and emotional loss. And somehow, at least in this country, we are kind of expected to have a you can get through it kind of thing coming through at the end, you know, be very uplifting. And a lot of life just is not like that. OK, we walk around for the rest of our lives with no closure to certain things and you know, that's that's tough and it's unfortunate, but that's the way things go. And that's it's sad. Um, and watching things like this certainly manipulates the audience into feeling things they might not want to feel. Um, but I'm curious because I wonder what happened to you while you were writing these things, because you come to a point where you make a choice. Do I go to this dark place? Do I be as truthful as possible while still being humanitarian, humanitarily artistic. Okay. Um, I mean, how do you go there? I mean, how do you process this sort of thing? You get this out of you and under the page. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, um, I hope, I hope audiences don't feel manipulated. Ultimately, I think, I mean, as artists, you're a writer, mm -hmm. you're an artist too. Sure, yeah. Um, you you want to tell the truth or like, what are you doing? What's what's the point? Art, art is supposed to be about telling the truth. Mm -hmm. um, so I hope I'm not manipulating anyone. I don't mean, I don't mean in a bad yeah. way. I mean, but when you tell a story, <laughs> you want a certain effect to get yeah. through. I'm telling you this story in this fashion because yeah. this is how it occurs to me. And... Your audience should be a little bit different at the end of your story. So I don't mean manipulation in a bad way. Heard, heard, heard. Yeah. Well, I hope that the story, ultimately to me, the story's hopeful at the end. Like we've yeah. gone through, we've gone through the weeds. We have these sort of, the story of the mom's decline happening and the story of daughter running away and how those both like intersect in their different timelines. But, you know, at the heart of it, you also have these characters undergoing change. Mm -hmm. um, you know, father realizing that he has maybe been too hard on daughter and he has been, like, holding on too hard and building this lighthouse to guide her back home as she gets stuck in this storm. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's, you know, if we're very lucky in life, we have those lighthouses from the people we love when we need mm -hmm. them most. Sure. Um, and so I think you have to, to have the end have any payoff, you know, like, is she going to go back? Is she not? Right. We, we need to go through the weeds because that's life. You know, we, we go through the weeds in life and hopefully we get to the other side. I don't know. I think you just have to be do. honest when, you, hopefully we do. Yeah. I think you just have to be honest when you're doing art. So I think that's, that's how you go there. That's why you go there. But now honestly, it's the hard know. part. You know? It is the hard part. It, I mean, it's weird to be mean to your characters, right? Like, well, yeah, it is weird to be mean to your characters, but if you are treating your characters with dignity and honesty, mm -hmm. 
uh, you know, unfortunate things are a part of life. And, and part of the reason I ask this is because I've spoken to producers who have, who have looked at not only my work, but other folks' work. And as someone who has tried to select other folks' work for production, I come down to what is going to put butts in seats? What does my audience want to see? Okay. Should I take this particular play, which doesn't cut any corners, or should I take the play that's a little bit easier on the heart and a little bit easier on, you know, um, and, you know, as, as a writer, I guess for all writers, it comes down to where do I go? Because we're playwrights. We want our work produced. Oh, yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, I wish you guys could have seen the look on both our faces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that is the tough thing, too, especially post-COVID, right? All of these theaters mm. now want to produce these, like, fluffy, fun plays, like Mamma Mia and Neil yeah. Simon. And that does have its merit. But I think that sometimes the people picking seasons are are a little scared. Audiences don't just want to laugh their butts off. Sometimes, you know, Aristotle lets us know, audiences need catharsis. That's what sure. they need. Yeah. And especially the last couple of years, lots of people have gone through tragedy where someone mm -hmm. has experienced a debilitating illness. We've got over a million dead in the States from this thing. I in mean, the States you know, alone. Yeah. In the States alone. And audiences need catharsis, you know. I'm sure. not saying... I don't think anyone right now wants to watch a COVID play because that's maybe a little too soon. It's a little close to home. But there is a place in theater for stories that are heavier and stories that reveal the human condition in ugly ways. There is a place for it. Yeah. Just got to be is. brave. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Where is this play in development? Are you done with it or are you going to keep hmm. tinkering with it? I'm, I'm hoping that I'm done with it. After the last reading, I went through and I, I did some edits that I'm hoping are the final ones. I don't even know what number draft I'm on at this point because I've just gotten lost <laughs> in the weeds of that. Um, yeah. Saw some things in it that I thought, you know, that scene doesn't really work anymore. You know how you do edits and sometimes uh -huh. a scene that's maybe been in there since the first draft no longer makes sense, like seven edits in. Yeah. Yeah. So there's some stuff about some stuff about that. Added a scene, removed one of the direct addresses, and language changes too. You know, like the meanings of words can change as yeah. time goes on. And I've been working on this play for uh, probably close to three years now. So True. I want to say it's done. And if anyone would like to produce <laughs> it, um, <laughs> please find me, and I will let you do that. Sounds good. Uh, yeah. yeah, I wish I could produce yeah. it right now, but I'm not in the space to do that. Um, it's expensive to produce. Yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Um, it's a highly sensitive play, and it deals with some very, mm -hmm. very truthful things. Um, and there's a lot of honesty in the play. Why didn't you give your characters names? Why didn't you just say, yeah. you know, this is... This is Jenny and Bob and oh Rainbow, God. you know, <laughs> Rainbow. Um, or, or whatever. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you left them as mother, father, and daughter. Yeah. Uh, and it was, it, it was just a point for me because I'm getting so much coming through on this play mm -hmm. that I wondered why you kept me a little bit pushed out with 
not giving them names? I think there's a few reasons. One, and we, we've sort of talked about like how, how we make the audience feel. There's something kind of nice about having a little bit of depersonalization, I think, and not yeah. giving them names. But I also, I kind of want it to re remain universal. Mm -hmm. And I, I also think that names have personalities. And I didn't want to limit a, pers a person, I didn't want to limit an actor by giving them a name that might have a personality. Like, I hear Jenny, and don't you, like, can't you yeah. come up with someone who's <laughs> Jenny? As opposed uh -huh. to someone who's Sharon, it's like a totally different person. Oh my God, they should be sisters. <laughs> They're so not alike. They're so not alike, right? So I, I didn't want any. I didn't want any personality yeah. sort of laid over, laid over it. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Yeah. No, that that makes perfect sense. Um, Thank you. No, it's it's. Yeah, I've had that problem with names myself because I I struggle with names, and I've got to find the right name for the right personality on this on this character, and some of my Early drafts have people referred to as Big Jerk, um, which generally doesn't make it all the way through, and huge pain in the butt. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and snotty person. Um, yeah, that's a placeholder, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. It's, just one, it's better than one, two, and three, because then I get confused about whether, you know, what, what whatever. Um, symbolism. Mm -hmm. I was noting in, in Siren... Um, Again, from your unnamed characters, you, you, you've given them, you haven't nailed them down as far as indications with names, which totally, I, I absolutely get. But at one point, you bring in the name Calliope, mm. okay? And you've got a makeshift lighthouse. And to me, those stood as symbols for where the journey is going for all three characters. And I was kind of curious as to why, I mean, the lighthouse, I can kind of understand because, you know, the, let's hold that out there so everybody finds their way home. Calliope was interesting, though. Why did you come up with Calliope? Yeah. So Calliope is the name of the boat that um, mother passes on to daughter. Mm -hmm. um, and Calliope birthed the sirens. So that's right. where that name came from. Okay. Um, but there's like some, th throughout the piece, something I was trying to do that might, you know, sometimes I think is a little heavy-handed, but uh, hopefully, hopefully audiences can kind of ignore it. Um, I have an English degree, and so I like writing that's very tight and that has references all over the place. Mm -hmm. And I went and I found different references to different cultures that had um, women um, who basically like called people to their deaths or women women who had something to do with their voices so there's like banshees there's sirens there's rusalki who which are like mer people yeah. um and all of that was supposed to sort of mirror what's happening with mother and sort of give the play like a mythic quality itself um so yeah calliope is just like a very heavy-handed like birth to sirens the play is called siren here okay. you go hey <laughs> You know, it's I've seen I've seen heavier crowbars than that one. Believe me. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, well, I mean, that's what symbolism should be. It should be yeah. a way of cluing the audience into the message, the meaning, the intent that you're trying to get across. So, yeah. Um, okay. We've known each other. Well, we've known of each other for a long time. Okay, yeah. many a few years. Um, when I first met you, was in an acting class. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, please, let's not go into the Meisner thing. It's, I still have nightmares. Oh, um, no. Repeat, repeat, repeat. <laughs> okay. Repeating? Repeating? 
You're scaring me. Okay. Um. <laughs> like, shortly after that class, I became a classical actor, so... Oh, thank God. Completely in the opposite direction. Um, but were you writing at that point, or did that come later? Um, after that class is actually when I wrote my first play. Okay. It was very short, because I, I wasn't acting. I had just graduated from college, and... You know how it is when you're first trying to get out into the artistic world. Ooh. There's there's not a lot. You got to build those connections. You got to pay those sure. dues. Yeah. And so I wrote a play. It was awful, but somehow I got accepted. <laughs> <laughs> somehow I got accepted into this like self-producing festival in New York. So I had a friend. I went up and I did that. And at that point, I decided I would never again act in anything I wrote. Do you act in the things you write? Uh, I have on one or two occasions. I hate it because in the back of my mind, I'm like, who wrote this crap? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what's even worse is trying to direct it. Oh, no, I can't even imagine. Oh, well, yeah, you know, um, not recommended. I, I know lots of people who think, well, I'm, you know, I know what I want and I'm going to put it on stage. But yeah, no, I, I try not to. I really firmly believe that if you write the play, that's your job. And yeah. when your job is done, you like the play is in one form what you have written it, but it's going to get produced everywhere, right? Like mm -hmm. if you think about Shakespeare, he's been produced for hundreds of years yep. everywhere. And the reason he keeps getting produced is that people will read it and find new things in it. Sure. And I want that to happen with my plays. I exactly. want them to read it and focus in on, you know, whatever they want to pick to focus in on. You know, loss is the theme here, so we're going to focus on that. Or hope is the theme. And those plays while they are both valid, are completely different plays. A play that focuses mm -hmm. on loss versus a play that focuses on hope. Sure. So, yeah. yeah. Well, loss and hope kind of go together. Kind of. Yeah, kind of. But I, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, it's when I write a play, the perfect version is in my head. So let's talk about the experiences you've had in that particular situation, because I know you've put yourself through development rehearsals, yeah. You, you throw your script in and people say, it's lovely, I want it. And they start to do it. And all of a sudden, through no fault of anybody's questions come up. And so how did that affect Siren or any of your plays, actually? I mean, was there anything that stood out among all the rest of, of the, you know, developmental incidents? Oh, um... With Siren, I was very lucky to have multiple instances of development. Okay. So, first thing that happened was I was in a, a full-length playwriting class, which was sort of, you know, sometimes you need some help to jumpstart. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, and then after that, I was in, um, Philadelphia has this writing group called The Foundry. Um, right, I've heard of Which them, is yeah. an extension of Playpen now. Yeah, yeah. So for a year I was in the foundry and I got um, feedback there. And there's nothing quite like getting feedback from other writers. I think we've all been in situations where, if you're a playwright, um, you get feedback from other writers, but then there are also situations where you're getting development feedback from like actors and directors. Sure, yeah. And writers just know how to talk to writers, if I'm honest. Uh, <laughs> oh, we could go for another two hours on this yeah, one. <laughs> I know. Um, but, you know, they know how to frame yes. 
criticism so that it doesn't quite sound like criticism. Uh -huh. You know, what is it, the Liz Lerman method of... If you, if you illuminate things for me as questions, like, well, I don't understand, uh, why did so-and-so make this choice here? It lets me know that I have a hole in my... Yes. In my plot, that you have not picked up on something that was necessary for you to understand the script. So I guess when it comes to development, with Siren, I was particularly lucky to have other writers helping me develop the, the play. Um, that has not always been the case. I'm not saying that it's not helpful. You know, having mm -hmm. actors come in and give you criticism is helpful, too, because you want to know that your play is fun to be in, you know? <laughs> yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's nice to know that the actors are enjoying the experience. Yeah, you know, you yeah, know, that's not yeah. a chore, that they're not just here for whatever very small paycheck they're getting, because I'm sure it's not that big. Oh. Yeah, because the last thing you want to hear in a rehearsal is, when does the show close? Oh, yeah. my God, it's the last <laughs> thing. Yeah, for sure. I've had that asked. Yes. No! Yes! <laughs> No, they fire them. Fire those people. Uh, yeah. <laughs> God. But yeah, I guess that's my experience as far as things go. Yeah, it's um, my experience with development is is, is ridiculously <clears throat> uh, like a stormy sea. Oh. Um, not well. No, the, the the first time I had it, I had no idea what was going on, and I had no idea that this was a process. I thought they want my play. Yay! You know, um, I'm a genius. <laughs> And they're like, well, let's sit down and talk about this. And we read the play. And they asked me these these questions because they knew I was a complete stranger to it. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I realized, oh, okay, yeah, these questions are legitimate. Oh, my yeah. God, I'm not the reincarnation of Edward Albee. Thank God, anyway. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it, it made the play a lot better because... All of a sudden, I was privy to things that people walking out of the audience would have said. Right. And right. I'm sure I never yeah. thought of it that way. Yeah. And being, you know, I can't be there at every performance. I wouldn't want to. My gosh. Oh, my gosh. Um, that's horrendous. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I've had people say, why'd you do this? And why'd you do that? And why'd you do the other thing? And I didn't like this. And, and all of a sudden, I was hit with a whole lot of things that I thought, oh, my God, I've got some rewriting to do. So, you know. Yeah. 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 It's... Uh, I just love playwriting so much. <laughs> oh, what is it? Um, gosh, there's this quote. I can't remember who it's by now. Um, but it's like having written it, or, or no, writing is terrible. Having written is great or something yes. along those mm -hmm. lines. Yeah, <laughs> I love so having so written. Yes. I love having written. Even editing is way, way easier than the writing process mm -hmm. uh, initially, I think. <laughs> yeah. Ah, it's nice when it's done. It's, and are you in the middle of anything now? You got anything on the on, on the works? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm in the middle of writing a short film, wordless piece, which I think will be fun because uh, film is fun because you tell you tell the story with uh, visuals more than with words, right? Yeah. And I'm also in the middle of a two-hander um, that has no title. That's I'm, okay. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. awful with titles, uh, but that's what I'm in the middle of right now. Okay. What are you in the middle of? What are you doing? Uh, I just finished a, what I'm calling for lack of a better title. Here we go with titles again, because uh, I'm terrible at them. Oh, my gosh. Um, right now I'm calling it Carol, a triptych. And it's three 12 to 15 minute pieces okay. over the course of the life of this woman who has learned to fend for herself, despite most of the male figures in her life being... 
less than supportive in so many ways. What? <laughs> yeah, what? what a crazy concept. Where did that come from? <laughs> um, but I, no, it's, it started off as, as a um, the first piece, just as, as a prompt from one of the groups yeah. that I belong to. And I thought, yeah, but I want to see what happens to her later. So, um, Sometimes and I just the finished... characters just don't shut up. They just, they have yeah, no I, I know. I love those characters. Already she's one of my favorite. Um, yes. I want, I want to detour over here to uh, some more kudos for you, because I'm looking at the Capital Fringe review, talking about, um, and I'm, I'm going to quote, because... These these things should get a little bit more promotion than just you seeing them and going, yay! You should see it. It is the best thing I've experienced at a fringe so far. It is the best play I've seen this year. The stakes couldn't be higher. Life and death, but their ability to control their fate is limited, although at times they toy with the idea of survival. They never seem to fully believe they have a chance. I want to see this right now. Good. So... How did that make you feel? This, this is a softball <laughs> question, by the way. Oh, my Lord. Amazing. Um, yeah, you know, it's kind of crazy, right? Because you write plays, and that was a self-produced one that we had uh, we'd sent on tour to, like, I don't even know, four different countries. Mm. Um, and you just sort of send your art out into the void, and it's so rare that you hear back that the art made an impact yes and to hear that it made such a large impact oh man that made all of us feel really really good because you know that production had been a year in the making or something like that yeah so much you know sweat so many tears <laughs> so much work mm -hmm. and it worked out that's oh, the best it's the best feeling yeah it's nice when somebody else can can give you that kind of kudos and you know congratulations and approbation for all that because it is rare yeah I, you know what 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 most real people those people who are not in theater you know it's in the general public don't realize the time that we put into this and it's not like we're just scraping something out for another episode of whatever's coming on 7 30 on channel 11 okay um yeah. these things take time and the emotional investment yes. is palpable and it's considerable. And yes, good theater should change the audience. Um, yes, I've heard that a hundred sure. times. But they never talk about how it changes the playwright. Yeah, wow. I mean, now, because I knew you before you wrote or before you started writing. And I'm yeah. seeing you again for the first time in several years now. Um, how has playwriting changed you? I mean, let's oh, say man. world view, I personal think... view, you know? Personal view. I think it's made me more empathetic. I thought acting had done that, and then I yeah. started playwriting. And playwriting, it's, it's a totally different ballgame because, you know, when you act, I have to worry about one character. That's it. Yeah. But when I'm playwriting, I'm worrying about all characters and not just in like a a separated sense like the director is looking to create something i i am like uh, i care about all my characters even the ones i don't like that much sure. you know i have a personal connection to all of them because all of them are little snippets of how i've come to understand the world so i think 
if anything, playwright playwriting makes you makes you more empathetic, makes you more able to see different worldviews and forces you to. Because if you want to have conflict in your plays, you you need characters with opposing points of views or opposing wants. Um, and we as people, you know, sometimes have internal conflicts, but they're never as big as external conflicts where you have two people going at each other, two factions of people going at each other. So by writing, you're forced to understand all aspects of an argument, and it just makes you a better communicator, and it makes you a better person, I think. I would hope so. That's that. Yeah, that was <laughs> no. That's that's one of the things because I've seen so many stock characters that are just evil, you know, yeah. and, and the, the whole right. snidely whiplash thing with the top hat and then twirling the mustache and going yeah 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 yeah, you know. But we don't. We never know what made them mm-hmm. who they are. And yes, right. they can act reprehensibly and they can do horrible things. But in my, in my world the audience needs to understand them. Not sympathize with them, but understand them. And you have to give the audience, because without that, there's no complexity. It's black against white. When most of life is gray against gray, even, mm. you know, even the heroes have nasty, dirty secrets. They should. Then they're more interesting. I think that's probably why we saw a shift in like television narrative, too. Like People want deeper... They want deeper characters, and we had this golden age of television sort of hit where the people who were leading were anti-heroes, you know, like Walter White, anti-hero, yeah. um, Don Draper, anti-hero. Um, but we still want to watch them because we, we, we understand them and they're interesting. It's interesting to sort of parse out how a human being can become, quote-unquote, evil, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, that's, that's the underlying principle beside, behind my favorite Shakespeare play, which is Richard III. Y'all, listen, yes, good choice. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, Richard's one of my favorite people. I wrote a play about him. That, that was years ago. Yeah. But who else can walk out and say, I hate everybody. I'm going to kill everyone. <laughs> and you're going to sit there and watch me for the next three hours. And then two yeah. scenes later, he successfully woos the widow of yeah. the guy he killed. I know. After admitting that he killed him. And I it's know. Like, you're sitting there and it's like, oh my gosh. The thing that's wild with that play is that the audience is actually complicit, right? Like he tells you what he's going to do yeah. and just like invites you to sit back and watch. Um, but because, because he's gone and broken the fourth wall, he sort of makes you complicit in whatever violence is about to happen. And that's sort of an uncomfortable position to be in as an audience. Sure, yeah. You know, you're like watching this man honestly kill children at a certain point. He, he sends these murders to go and kill mm-hmm. um, the two heirs to the throne. And, I mean, that's, uh, that's kind of one of the effective things of Shakespeare, though, is he, like, reaches through the audience and pulls you into the story. It's immersive without being immersive? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's addictive. It, it's it, addictive. It, it, it makes you realize you're... You're not black and white. I mean, I've, I've been watching The Blacklist for eight years now, and the lead character on that is irredeemable reprobate of, of just, you know, murderous proportions, but there's a sympathy there, and there's an understanding that makes you want to keep watching this, and I feel so dirty when I'm doing it, but it's... You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, how could I enjoy this? But you know what? We all have these dark 
things in us, right, that maybe we yes. don't want to admit are there, that we have to fight down or just keep down, keep a lid on them. And good art, good theater is going to remind you that there are multiple sides to all human beings. You yeah. Know? We're not just and good or bad. We're the things we do. No. And, and people like you and I, we go there regularly. <laughs> yeah. And we dig that stuff up and we spoon it onto the page. And it's like, oh, look at me. I'm an artist. Yeah, this is... <laughs> Yeah. Mm. Sometimes the things my characters do, I'm like, oh, God, I can't believe, where did that come from? I can't believe that's inside me. This is, this is really scary. <laughs> like, my mom has read some things I've written and been like, I didn't really like this that much. And I'm like, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> What's the one time a character really surprised you with something they came up with? Um, ooh, okay, I wrote this Hansel and Gretel uh, short play. Mm -hmm. And... In it, Gretel has become anorexic, and so Hansel has, like, trapped her in a room and will not let her leave unless she eats. And so there's, like, food strewn all around this room. And she sort of tricks him by the end, like, because he also says, like, he says, I'll give you anything. I just want you to eat. I just want you to be healthy. We're supposed to be twins. And so she tricks him in the end to, like, cut off his own hand so that she can eat that. Wow. Yeah. I know, it was really gross. <laughs> Even saying oh, it, I'm like, where did it come from? Like, oh, I love it. Oh my gosh, I want to direct it. Okay. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, you know, it's only 10 minutes. It was disturbing enough that 10 minutes was like just, just enough for the play. Oh my good Lord. Playwriting is our therapy, I, I, I think. It's something. It's something. Okay. Oh my gosh, Lisa, Lisa, this has been. I can't believe we waited this long to be back in contact with each other. This has been such a joy speaking with you. Thank you so much for taking the time twice to uh, make this thing happen. Um, yeah. Thank yeah. you for inviting me. It's been lovely. I, I so rarely get to talk about playwriting. It's very, you know, isolating as a craft. It, it is, but it's also very cathartic, too, when you get the yeah. chance to do this, you know. Um, yeah. Good luck with everything you got coming up, and Thanks. please, let's stay in touch. Sounds good. Have a good one. Hey, kids, thanks for listening to On Stage, Off Stage. On Stage, Off Stage is produced monthly, and all of our shows can be found at onstageoffstage.org and also on iTunes and Spotify. If you enjoy what we do, please recommend us to your friends. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at On Off Stage. And if you are a theater artist with an upcoming project of interest or know of someone in the theater who'd make some seriously good chat, by all means, send us a note at info at onstageoffstage.org. I'm George Sapio. Thank you once again for listening. And please, stay safe, be careful, not only for yourself, but for those with whom we all share this rock. And as always, happy theatering to all of you. <laughs>